Hello, and welcome to another fantastic, as always, episode of Unstoppable Rise, a resource that helps motivated individuals press on towards the mark of self-actualization using a combination of old-school wisdom and new breed tactics to help achieve this end. My name is Sim, and in this episode, I'm going to be talking about the five books that have influenced me and my philosophy and my worldview on life the most. So... There have been times in my life where I'll say something or I'll do something and someone I know, acquaintance-wise, or in my immediate family or one of my friends will say, you know, that's really insightful. How did you know about that? Or, wow, that's really insightful for someone in their 20s and people in their 30s, 40s don't think about that. And... They'll ask, where did you learn this? Where did you get this information? And how did you come to this conclusion? So my answer to that overtly or um, covertly would be I spent a lot of time thinking about how the world works in conjunction with all the pieces in the world and various other things in life. And I've also had many experiences in the field experiences that have confirmed or denied a lot of the things that I have read about over the course of the past couple of years and obviously experience is more applicable than knowledge but knowledge plus experience definitely helps you in a lot of situations and it will cut down the time for your learning curve because if you read about something and you can see, oh, this is where this is going to happen, or this is going to happen if I do X, Y is going to happen if I do X, then you're more prepared to deal with that situation and you're more prepared to think about a solution to a problem or just in generally figure out how to do something. So... Because I've spent a lot of time thinking about things and experiencing different things in the world, I consciously came up with some sort of philosophy and mindset around life. And if you want to hear part of this philosophy, go check out the episode I made on pragmatism. That will explain a good amount of what I think you should be doing in life, being a proactive and pragmatic person. But beyond that, I think we absorb influence from the things that we're surrounded by on a constant basis. And this is why I make it a point of duty to always make sure I am taking in positive information and constructive information rather than just negativity. And that's why I shut myself a lot off from a lot of different sources of watered-down news media. But beyond that, the influences you take in on a daily basis will consciously or unconsciously shift and sculpt your philosophy. So I made it a conscious dude to really think about what pieces I want to take from the different things that I read and how you can apply it to life. Because you're not going to live long enough to experience everything and you're just not going to learn everything on your own. 
So this is where books come in because in a book you can read the distilled version of someone's life in a couple of hours and then you'll be able to see what mistakes they made, what triumphs they had, and what obstacles they reached along the way. So obviously, like I said before, books cut down on your learning curve and inevitably you're going to be shaping a philosophy and a worldview amongst the aggregate of the books you read. So for myself, reading a lot, I come across a lot of good stuff and I've come across a lot of stuff that's been sort of middle of the road. I haven't really read anything that's been horrible because a lot of the books that I've read have been recommended to me by other people and just hearing about them in a classic sense makes them more esteemed and very viable. So the books I'm about to talk about are pretty much classics or modern classics in their own right. As we move into 2020, it's very important to think about what influences you are taking in and maybe you want to start reading some more or you want to start taking in the good stuff more. So I've put together a list of 20 or 25, I can't remember, important books that I think that everybody should read. And I made that a long time ago. So I'll link that in the notes. But these five books are definitely books you can start implementing right away and start sculpting onto your philosophy and making a habit out of them right away. So these five books, in no order, have impacted me the most. And it was very hard for me to come up with this because I've read so much good stuff. But these five are five that... I find myself coming to over and over again, whether literally, spiritually, or just in terms of them having a towering influence amongst the similar books in that category. So having a towering influence amongst uh, similar books. And you'll see traces of these books in books of a similar genre. So that's how important these ones are. So to start off, the first one is Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. And these books you'll probably hear me mention over and over again, especially if you listen to this frequently, or um, you'll see them in my writing, but uh, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Again, Meditations is a book based on this concept called Stoic Philosophy. And Stoic philosophy, basically summed up, is a way you approach life, your mindset to life is pragmatic. Saying, this happened, let's mourn, let's get over it, and what is the next course of action? What should we do to live a productive and fulfilling life in this human, this chaotic human existence? That's what Stoic philosophy looks at. So Meditations was written by Marcus Aurelius, who was a Roman emperor, and Meditations was originally not intended to be published as a work of nonfiction, and it was, a, it was his private journal that he wrote over the course of several years, and it was just 
maxims and aphorisms to himself that he wrote. And if you read it, it's all from a detached sort of view. It's all very objective. He pretty much says things like, you know, this doesn't matter because in the end we're all going to be dead, so you might as well do this. Or um, people are going to be mean to you. You can't control everyone's responses. And people are going to be mean, unsurly, unscrupulous, but love them anyway because they're still human. And another one is you're part of this divine spark and you're part of the Logos, important concept in Stoic philosophy, part being part of something larger than yourself. And when you die, you're going to return to the Logos. So you need to act in accordance with that and uh, not let your ego get in the way of you truly experiencing the light of life. So meditations for me was significant because this was my entry into Stoic philosophy, um, more like common sense philosophy, but common sense isn't so common, right? <laughs> but this was my entry into Stoic philosophy, and I encountered this when I was going through a really rough time in life. Uh, I was just, I was 19 turning 20, and things were just uh, hitting the wall for me in terms of everything. And I came across this and it pretty much changed my view on how to adapt towards life. So that was my entry into Stoic philosophy. Then I got introduced to Seneca. Then I got introduced to Epictetus. And then Stoicism has been erupting in recent years, mainly because of its pragmatism as a philosophy. And in no, uh, no little part to a resurgence of modern Stoicism because it's a very uh, appropriate philosophy for our modern world and how we approach problems. So one other book I read in the same vein is How to Think Like a Roman Emperor by Donald Robertson. And Donald Robertson is a psychologist and a um, therapist, and he specializes in CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. And he said Stoic philosophy is just like CBT because you're thinking about things in a certain way and you're orienting your mindset to be proactive rather than reactive. So he calls Stoicism the proto prototype of CBT. And I think CBT was, did take a lot of cues from Stoic philosophy consciously. The people who were saying this is a real philosophy or this is a real therapy, we're going to run with it. I think a lot of the people who came up with CBT were influenced by Stoic philosophy, but I'm not sure, so don't quote me on that one. But then that's another great book in the same vein of meditations that I read. And he's breaking down the meditations in a format that's easily digestible. So both of those books, if you want to have something really dense to sink your teeth into, but also really accessible, How to Think Like a Roman Emperor definitely is one but meditations is the original and just those aphorisms are just so timeless with wisdom. So that's the first book, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. The second one is Deep Work by Cal Newport. And Cal Newport, I first was introduced to him with his book, So Good They Can't Ignore You. I 
sort of sort of blanked out there thinking about the title it's called so good you can't they can't ignore you and that was basically talking about skills and skill-based work and how to stand out in relation to your peers who are going for the same job you are so so good you can't ignore you i thought that was great but deep work really expanded upon that how to implement the tactics and so good they can't ignore you and you become so good they can't ignore you because you implement deep work and in deep work he really explains the problem with the modern delusion of productivity and i've i've gone into a little bit of that when i was talking about the episode on pragmatism the modern delusion of productivity is basically saying that i'm knee deep in emails i'm in the company slack i'm in group chat, I'm doing all this shallow activity, but I'm not doing anything deep, so I must be working right. And he, he would say no, because deep activities cannot be easily replicated, and they cannot be outsourced to some machine or easily taught to someone who can, who just came out of college. That's what deep work are, and that's what deep skills are. So when I first read this back in 2016, I... Uh, made it a point of duty to really dig deep to this philosophy and implement it in my life. And the results have just been astounding. I always implemented some form of deep work, but I wasn't really serious about it because I did not understand the impact that deep work has and the impact that our modern tools of connectivity are doing to our ability to do deep work. So I started implementing that and I started really focusing on the skills and in conjunction with that, later that year, this guy named Anders Ericsson, he's known as being the godfather, grandfather of skill-based learning and deliberate practice. He came out with a book called Peak, The Secrets Behind the New Science of Expertise. And that just solidified that I need to do deliberate practice and I need to focus on doing things deliberately and also got me thinking about neuroplasticity, the ability for the brain to change itself in a new way. And I really committed to, again, this deep work philosophy. And I committed to deliberate practice so I could just become like this force that is able to cut through life rather than have life cut through him. So those books impacted me, but deep work more than the more so. And that is also why I avoid social media for a large part because of what he outlined in deep work. And it's pretty much true if you think about it. Social media has really eroded our ability to concentrate and really do hard things because you always have an easy escape outlet by saying, oh, I'm going to check social media or I'm just going to fritter my time away on social media rather than doing the things that really matter in your life. And doing the things that matter in your life, not going to be found on social media. It's not, it's not on Twitter. It's not on Facebook. It's not on Instagram. It's in the give and take of real life. And the give and take of real life is made even better by submitting and subscribing to a deep work philosophy in everything you do. So he also came out with another book, I believe, called Digital Minimalism. I haven't read that, but I pretty much get the gist of that. Um, digital minimalism is one I'll probably check out sometime down the line, but 
uh, deep work. Definitely, definitely, definitely really um, influenced my work life to a massive degree, if I can't say that enough. So that's the second book, Deep Work by Cal Newport. The third book, Psycho-Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz. The background behind this book is interesting because Maxwell Maltz was a cosmetic surgeon and he did cosmetic surgeries on people to make them more attractive. And despite having these surgeries to make them more attractive and Maxwell Maltz was a consummate professional, he was the top, one of the top guys in his field at that time, back in the 50s, 60s, I believe. So he was one of the top guys. So it's not like he botched the surgery or anything. Um, even when these people would have top world-class surgery performed on them, they still came to him and said, I think you need to fix this. I think you need to do this. I think, you know, I think something else needs to be th fixed. I'm looking in the mirror. Something is still wrong. And he said, what is going on? I don't know why these people are saying they need to fix this and then the other. And these people are perfectly attractive. Some of these people are movie star level attractive but they still think they're the ugliest person on the planet. What is going on here? And that led him into a journey into seeing the self-image of a person, someone's self-image in their inner mirror, how they view themselves. So your self-image, he pretty much came to a conclusion, pretty much dictates everything you're going to do in life. You cannot rise higher than your self-image or your estimation of yourself. You consciously or unconsciously check the self-image mirror, inner mirror any time you make a decision to see if this is consistent with your values or consistent with how you view yourself. And if you're going to do something uh, and you say, this is not me, then you just won't do it. So one example, how the self-image can raise you up, you can say, well, I view myself as being bigger than this situation and I don't want this situation in my life so I'm going to consciously change it because this is not aligned with how I view myself and how I view my my world. So one example could be thinking about tolerating respect or asking for respect from people because you say to yourself, I'm a good person, I'm a thoroughly good person, I need to be respected, I deserve to be respected, and I will not tolerate disrespect from other people. So standing up for yourself in something like a workplace environment um, could be one example of having good self-image, not having people just walk over you, and just standing up for yourself in general. So uh, not viewing yourself as, oh, I'm just the, I'm just the punching bag. I'm just the pinata. I'm just the guy everyone just goes by and kicks down the road. Um, if you have a good self-image, you're going to say no. Um, you, we may not see eye to eye, but you're still going to respect me and I'm not going to appreciate that treatment from you. That's one example of having a good self-image. One example of having a bad self-image is what you've Again, going back to work because it's a very easy example. What you think you're expected to produce in work and what you're expected to get out of work. Some people are vastly underachieving in their lives because they view that this is this is me. This is this is I just I'm just the guy, I'm just a martyr. 
again, having an archetype, Ar an archetype of a martyr to say, you know, I could be making more, but I'm just going to take the suffering because this is what God wants me to do, or this is what, this is striving through pain and suffering and unnecessary suffering puts me in a better position than just trying to greedily strive for things in the world. So you're playing the archetype of the martyr. That's how you see yourself. You see yourself as just taking, quote unquote, taking one for the team, saying, oh, the budget this year, you know, isn't that great. So I'll just take a pay cut or I just won't ask for a raise this year. Obviously, you won't ask for a raise or and you'll take the pay cut because you're taking one for your quote unquote, taking one for the team because you view yourself as a martyr. You view yourself as someone who's just sacrificing for the greater good, and that's your self-image. And until that self-image is changed, you're, there's no way in hell you're going to go and apply for another job that makes twice as much you, you're making right now. Are you crazy? You're not going to do that because that's not part of your self-image. And this is why people tolerate situations they don't like because their self-image says, you deserve this. So this is why people stay in relationships that aren't good jobs that aren't good either, um, why people just don't strive for things in their life, you know, all sorts of things because their self-image tells them what they can and can't do. So Maxwell Maltz has a prescription to change the self-image. He goes in depth in that in the book. And this opened my eyes to why I was enacting some patterns that I didn't like on the surface and why some other people I knew were also enacting these patterns. It's like, it's some sort of, it's some form of madness, if you think about it. But the self-image um, was really discovered by Maxwell Maltz, and many self-development books and self-help books have taken his cue, and Psycho-Cybernetics is pretty much the grandfather of them all. So, Hats off to Maxwell Maltz for making such an influential book that just towers, but also simultaneously subtly influences every single book that came after it. So that's the third one, Psycho-Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz. The fourth one, The Richest Man in Babylon by George S. Clausen. So this book is a very old book. I think it was written at the turn of the 19th century. And Georges Clausen was um, an entrepreneur, a business owner, and he wrote a series of articles, you can call them, and put them in pamphlets. And this was organized into a collection called the quote-unquote Richest Man of Babylon. So pretty much the premise behind it is different stories following the richest civilization that had ever been, pretty much, uh, Babylon in the Middle East. So the Kingdom of Babylon and talking about how you can attain quote-unquote gold, how you can spend your gold, how you can save your gold, how you can offer valuable services, all that stuff. And he frames it in the uh, he frames financial, personal finance in the, in the backdrop of fiction, 
which I think is pretty cool because it's very easily digestible by kids and adults alike. So you can take whatever is being said in this book and translate it to personal finance. So this book uh, doesn't really have any action. It's not going to tell you, oh, you should invest in X stock or you should save uh, X amount per year or you should uh, refinance on so-and-so or do so-and-so. It doesn't tell you that. It's pretty much just a mindset shift of how you think about personal finance. So I read this book in 2015 when I was just really getting off the ground with uh, my career for the most part. So 2015, I read this early 2015 and I was always, I was never reckless with money. I was never a spendthrift and I had good money habits, but this just made me say, okay, well, um, I want to learn more about this stuff. Let me dig deeper. So this was my introduction into thinking about personal finance and everything personal finance had to offer. So I ended up reading various articles and books on the subject, and um, it's really informed my financial philosophy today. And you'll see Richest Man in Babylon, the echoes of it in pretty much every personal finance book now. If you don't see it mentioned uh, directly, you'll see it mentioned indirectly. And um, one of the biggest takeaways from that book is pay yourself first. So pay yourself first pretty much means that when you get paid, the tax man's going to pay themselves first. They're going to reach into your paycheck and collect their share. And then... Of course, you have all of the other people who want a piece of that. You have your landlord, you have the utilities company, you have your car payment, you have food, the grocer, you have all these people who want their share. But what's left over for you? And you won't have anything left over for yourself unless you say, I'm consciously going to set aside 5% or 10% or 15% of this for a rainy day. And you then live off the rest. So if you find yourself in a jam saying, oh, I'm doing this, but I'm still not able to pay my bills, then there's one of two things. You either reduce the amount you save, but you still save, or you just have to increase your income. You have to play better offense, as stated in The Millionaire Next Door. So in personal finance, there's two sides, offense and defense. Offense is how much you make, and defense is how much you keep. So this book is really looking at both sides of the coin, but more so defense, because um, if you don't, you can make all the money in the world, but if you don't, if you don't save any of it, if you don't keep some of it for yourself, if you don't use some of it appropriately, then it's not going to really matter. You have great offense, but you have lousy defense. And as anyone who plays sports knows, defense wins games. So that is the fourth book, The Richest Man in Babylon by George S. Clausen. The fifth and final book is one that I found somewhat out there, but then it was just so lucid. It was just so clear, and I was just really shocked by the clarity of the prose. The book is called The Power of Awareness by Neville Goddard. And Neville Goddard is an interesting figure because not much is known about him. He was just one of those very enigmatic New Thought 
people in the early 19th century, but pretty much he was a person who came from Barbados and he lived in New York City as a dancer. He was a dancer in theater. And then he eventually met one of his mentors named Abdullah, who pretty much taught him about uh, the deeper esoteric meanings behind things in the Bible and the Kabbalah. So he turned that into a philosophy and then he started going to different seminars or hosting different seminars and people would flock by the hundreds and thousands to hear him speak. And he would speak about how every one of us is a shard of the divine. Everyone is pretty much God in a sense, but it's um, by degree. So you are God. I mean, you're a creator. And this lines up with what is said in the Christian Bible, by which he based his teachings off of by saying that God created man in his image. So this lined up pretty well with that. And he was pretty much saying that God created man in his image, but you are also God because you can create things in your life and you're pretty much creating things in your life all the time. So he goes very deep into this in Power of Awareness and his other books. And he pretty much just said that consciousness is the only reality. Nothing exists outside of consciousness. Consciousness gives things context and labeling things good or bad makes them so. As Shakespeare said, there's nothing good or bad, only thinking makes it so. So that is also another facet. The other facet he talks about is um, thinking from the end, thinking that you are already doing this and you're already achieving this and making it so clear that nothing else can happen. It has to happen. So this lines up also well with a lot of visualization. People talk about visualization and how it's helped them. People like Kobe Bryant says he visualized outcomes before they happened. And Russell Wilson, the quarterback of the Seahawks, said he makes a daily practice of visualization and seeing games won before they, they're won. So this aspect of visualization can help make things, help speed things up and make it so that the end is clear in your mind and having clarity about what you want to achieve. So that helps. And then the fourth aspect of this is talking about pretty much your state of mind, your state of being attracts things to you and assumptions eventually harden into facts based on if they're given enough attention. So you can think to yourself, uh, I'm going to get hit by a car, I'm going to get hit by a car, I'm going to get hit by a car. And thinking about it a thousand times probably won't do anything. But then as you make this a conscious part of your mind and you think to yourself every day, oh, I'm waiting till the day I get hit by a car, I can't wait for it. And you make this a part of your subconscious programming. So you'll start to act out doing things that will make it easier for you to get hit by that car eventually. So... Uh, pretty much self-fulfilling prophecies as well. And for me, what I got from Neville is pretty much controlling your mind at all times, self, self-mastery and self-discipline of your mental states and ha- you having influence of your mental states, being proactive again, not reactive. Because a lot of people are just reacting to life 
uh, this happened, this happened, this happened. I'm so mad. I'm so pissed. I'm sad. This, that, and the other. But he says, no, no, no. You have to impose your will on these mental states. You can't have them. You can't let these things have control over you. And something that's bad may end up being good. Something that was unlucky may actually end up being lucky and vice versa, right? So one example of this is a couple of years ago, I was at a, um, I guess it was a party or some sort of uh, event more so with a couple of friends and it was just raining. It was downpouring, it was raining like crazy and I shouldn't have even gone because it was just raining so much. But I was like, fuck it, we're, you know, we're going to be inside, whatever. So I went there and I parked my car in this lot that was pretty much below the water line for uh, when things, when floods happen because there's no other parking. And <laughs> that's probably why. So over the course of the hours, we spent about like a couple hours there having a great time. It was an awesome time. I don't regret going at all. Um... Pretty much what happened is that it was just raining so, so much that the entire place got flooded and the entire areas got flooded and my car was sitting in the lot that was below the below the waterline and my car got flooded, the entire parking lot got flooded, so it wasn't only my car and it was the car of everyone else who was parked in that lot, so there's hundreds of cars that were just flooded and the amount of water that was just coming down and the amount of water that was being flooded onto the parking lot was just so astronomical that it was like, it was like a mini, uh, hurricane Katrina. And I was like, shit, my car is flooded. Oh my God. I was, I was getting so tizzy and this, that, and the other. And then I went to go and start it. I waded through the water. It's just a stupid idea. Um, I went to go and <laughs> I waded through the water and I went to go and start it. It wasn't starting and there was mud everywhere in the car. So I, was, I just left it there and then um, eventually got home. So when I got home and I came back the next day, um, I looked at the car. the car. The car was a total loss. I mean, there was mud everywhere. The entire console was messed up. Um, everything was destroyed. The car was just a, a wreck. And I was like, oh my God. And then I was freaking out. And I was so affected by this situation instead of just thinking, okay, well, you know, I can always get another car. It's not that big of a deal. It's not the end of the world, right? But this is really before um, I really started grafting these mindsets onto my philosophy. So this car... Um, had to get towed and then I would say I had to get a new car and I was like, well, you know, I was thinking about training this car in eventually and uh, I was It was actually around the time I said, you know, I got to trade this in and get a new car. I don't really like this car um, so my my hand was forced and It was like, okay, well, you're gonna get a new car anyway. That's pretty much the saying that uh, Man proposes but God disposes that's pretty much in line with that so I ended up getting a new car and it was exactly the car that I had in my mind's eye and it was exactly the situation that I wanted. They, the car dealership actually took, <laughs> took pity on me, which was pretty funny because uh, 
this happened to several other people. And it was also at the end of the month, so they want to get rid of their stock to get ready for quarter four. So I ended up getting a new car at a dis sharp discount and um, very low interest rate. And it was the car that I exactly envisioned and it is great and it's fantastic. So again, this is saying something that's unlucky to the passive observer can actually be lucky and it can actually be in your favor. So that's what Lao Tzu was talking about in the Tao Te Ching saying there's a sliver of good in every bad and vice versa. So there's nothing that's 100% good or 100% bad. There's each, each is in the other. And that's where the yin-yang symbol comes from. So Neville Goddard, pretty much his philosophy summed up is always think about the things you want coming true and give that attention instead of the things that you don't want to give attention. And Neville Goddard, um, he is the best uh summary of I guess this concept called the law of attraction that I have heard about and the most level-headed version of this in pretty much ever because again his prose is so lucid and he's able to describe it so with such clarity and he does dip into metaphysics which is a separate topic but um, he's just such a great person to model your philosophy of how you want things to end up off of. And he's just such a towering influence. He's a subtle influence in the quote unquote new thought uh, arena. And a lot of these people who are just shilling this law of attraction stuff and saying, oh, um, you just have to think about it and this, that, and the other. A lot of those people owe their, owe their uh, livelihood to this guy. And a lot of these people can't even hold a candle to what this guy was preaching. And he pretty much just said, if someone is talking about this stuff and they're demanding compensation, then they're not a real teacher because a real teacher knows that truth is, um, truth does not have a price, but it is freely given to all. So that was his philosophy. He said, I don't want your money. You can make a donation if you want, but um, I'm not going to just come up here and charge thousands of dollars for a seminar based on something that you can read about. You, you can just go to a bookstore, get a Bible and read about. Um, I'm not going to charge thousands of dollars for that. So Neville was the real deal. Um, very interesting man based on what else I've read about him, especially the ladder story. The ladder story was, uh, if you think about a ladder consciously, keep on thinking about it eventually you're going to come in contact with a situation with a ladder. And a lot of people have um, also uh, done the ladder exercise and come up with the same results. And I've, I've actually done the ladder exercise and uh, there was a time where someone said, well, I need you to go up, climb this ladder and change that uh, light bulb. And that was a couple, that was about a two weeks after I was consciously thinking about the latter consciously. Um, so life is stranger than fiction. I'll say that. And, um, this has also been proven by quantum mechanics and everything that relates to quantum physics. And this is a whole rabbit hole that you can go down, but, uh, to keep it on a 
basic surface level, Neville Goddard's teachings, um, very, very impactful on how I view things. And just having mental discipline is the main takeaway I got from him. So um, controlling your mental states. So yeah, that is the fifth book, The Power of Awareness by Neville Goddard. Um, so that's it for this one. Talked a lot about a lot of different things here. And maybe you can pick one of these up and maybe one of them will interest you, depending on what your uh, values are and what you're interested in. But I'll provide resources for all of these in the notes. And I hope you enjoy this one. And I hope that um, it will provide some good reading material for you in the future. So that's it for this one. Until next time, stay knowledgeable. Take care.